moved into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Can we pray together for a moment? These are such good words. Oh, Lord, these are such good words and needed words, more than we know, needed words for us all. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Clearly, you want us to hear that. You repeated it. Clearly, we need to hear it. You repeated it. I pray that you'd help us to to hear, deeply hear. And may the fruit of that hearing bear itself out in manifold ways, in sweet ways, in ways that the watching world even is forced to take notice of, that people who know us well would see change in our own lives as these words begin to to go deep deep even within us. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this psalm. Uh, Thank you for just a few moments here at the start of the day, at the start of the week. And we pray that it would set the tone for it all. We pray in your name. Amen. Not surprisingly, fear is a theme that you can find throughout the Bible. Not just, by the way, in the sense of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, which of course it is. In the, in the sense that of, of awe and, and right reverence of the holy God of Israel. That's not the only way in which we see fear as a predominant theme in the Scriptures. We also see a different kind of fear. Uh, the fear that we feel, probably the, the way that we would most readily define and understand fear, that is, would be the fear of, say, the forces of nature or the fear of of death and calamity, or the fear of, of hostile individuals and what they might do to us, or the fear of warring nations, or the fear of some sort of pestilence or plague, the fear of, of the end of all things and what it, it, it might bring. We see that as a theme, again, throughout the Scriptures, and no, no doubt, clearly, we can certainly say that, that we share in that, and perhaps in our day there in the comfort of our living rooms, if we were to make a list, we could add readily and augment that, that list. We know fear very, very well. We know it all too well. What are its signs? You ever think about that? What, what are the signs of fear? 
In the Bible, there are many physical manifestations of cases where people are, are gripped and seized with, with that kind of, of, of fear. But I mean the signs of, of fear in, in a different way, in a very different way, that uh, come out in a, in a, shall I say, a heartfelt way, in a, in a deep way. Oftentimes, the, the signs and symbols and symptoms of fear can be con- these three things, control and anger and withdrawal. Those three things, control and anger and withdrawal. Control, we want to seize control. We want to, to um, lay hold of the wheel of our lives. Things just seem out of control and we want to, to seize control. Or anger, but because of our fear, we fall into fits of, of rage and losing our, our temper. Or, or again, perhaps withdrawal because of fear, just feeling like we need to pull back and, and perhaps even hide, flee, get away from circumstances or people. Th- those are all significant things, but they are actually symptoms, can be symptoms of a deeper thing, and that is fear. Control anger and withdrawal. Think how much, think with me just how much of our lives are lived in those places and how we trend towards those places. Well, that brings us to our our text, Psalm 46, because the psalmist is telling us something extraordinary here. And that is, for the disciple of Jesus, we need not fear. Or perhaps even putting it more precisely, we not need live lives that are enslaved to fear. Now, that is an extraordinary thing, a beautiful thing, a wondrous thing. How is it possible? How is it possible for us to live lives that would be set free from such fear? Well, by remembering, can I just put it this way, by remembering where we live by laying hold of our citizenship in the city of God, in, in Zion. And, and by that language, I, I mean that in these, what you see here in this psalm and what was read even earlier here this morning. Uh, what I mean by that would be the holy place of God's dwelling, uh, the, the, the royal people of his delight in that sense We are part of the city of God, not not an earthly city, but a heavenly city. We are part of the the city of God. To the degree we understand that, his dwelling, his delight, it will set us free from fear. And that's really the main theme that we see through this psalm in so many beautiful ways, so many powerful ways. We need not fear, for ours is the city of God. We need not fear, for ours is the city of God. Now, now, how do we see that? How do we see what are the features of this city that might then set us free from fear? Well, there are three things, at least three things, and we're going to look at them here for the next few minutes. The first is the way we see the power of God. The second thing is the way we see the presence of God. And the third thing is the way we see the purposes of God. All of these are tied into the city of God and how it sets us free from fear. The power of God, the presence of God, and the purposes of God. Well, let's look at these things in, in turn. So first we see the, something of the power of God. That is to say, God's rule 
over all things, over all things. And we see that very clearly in verses 1 to 3. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the earth, excuse me, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. See, you hear what the psalmist is saying. He's, he's, putting, he's painting this picture before us of the, the worst sort of convulsions that we could even imagine. These natural disasters, the earth shaking, quaking, the sea raging, and we as finite creatures having no shelter, no protection from such things. It's, it's, it's a terrible image, these natural disasters, but it would seem that actually the psalmist intends for us to understand that those natural disasters are pointing us towards actually something even worse, uh, a worst-case scenario, you might, you might say, because the image just seems to be bigger than just natural phenomena. So a worst-case scenario of, of the undoing of the created order itself or, or the collapse of everything we know, the end of the world as we know it, the ultimate worst-case scenario, everything coming undone. And so the, the psalmist paints that picture of these worst-case scenarios and then matches it or overmatches it with this great assurance. He speaks of and with this great assurance. God's power. God's power. God is described as being our refuge and strength, a shelter, a safe place that we can go in the midst of the worst of the storms, the worst of the assaults, great strong walls that hold against all that would shake and quake and try and break in against us. God is a refuge. God is a strength. God's power and therein God's protection. God's power and therein God's protection. It's as, it's as though the psalmist is saying, look, I want you from this position of his power and protection to look out upon that earth and to look out upon that sea and say to it all with a defiant voice, I will not fear you. I will not fear you. I need not fear you, and therefore I will not fear you. See, that's what the psalm is pointing us towards, why it is that we need not fear, because of the power of God that is real, real for us. Which then takes us to this question, something that perhaps might be worth wrestling with and, and thinking about here this morning. What's your worst-case scenario? What is your worst-case scenario? Is it the certainties of modern life proving themselves to be a little bit thinner than you thought they were? Technology and science apparently not able to run to our immediate rescue as we had thought that it might be able to. Or perhaps the economy in the tank and your financial plans completely in question. Does that sound familiar? Or perhaps we should go a little bit more personal, a little, little deeper in terms of your, your worst case scenario. A betrayal. An abandonment. Or perhaps just something, as I ask that question of what's your worst-case scenario, I'm pressing into an area and you find yourself even thinking of something that you dare not even imagine, much less speak. 
what is your worst case scenario? And how would you face it? Well, Psalm 46 is showing us something of that. Knowing something of God's power and protection over our lives. We need not fear, for ours is a city of God. That's the first thing. But there's so much more beyond even that. Not only is his power great and immeasurably so, but his presence is immediate. And he's right here with us. So it's not just that he's over all, but he's with us in all. And we see that most especially. It's actually there in verses 1 through 3, of course, but we see it all the more so in verses 4 through 7. So let me read that. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, you, you hear in, in the psalmist's voice, this is no Pollyannish perspective. He fully recognizes the world's resistance, the strong resistance, the, 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 this rebellion, uh, this raging rebellion uh, against the Lord and his people, all that stands in opposition to the rightful king and his rule and his, his subjects as they represent him in this world, that ultimately is traced back to the pit of Satan's ploys. The psalmist is well understands the reality of this raging rebellion, but it's worth noting here that even that, in all of its rage, is unstable. It's alluded to there uh, in verse 6. The kingdoms, even as the, the nations rage, the kingdoms what? Totter. Well, of course they do. Because as we rage, as we shake our fist at heaven, the one true living God, we only can live in but one universe. You can only go against the tide, but so long, so far, before things begin to come apart. And that's what's just alluded to right, right there. So the world's resistance, the reality of the world's resistance, and again, the psalmist is showing us is, is met, overmet, matched and overmatched by this great promise, by this great promise of God's presence. And you see that in the language of the psalm. The, the holy habitation, what is that a reference to? To the temple, to the temple in the Old Testament era. God's dwelling. There amidst his people. And not just that, but a river. A river running through this city. Now, by the way, Jerusalem did not have a river running through it. So this is clearly pointing towards the heavenly city, the heavenly Zion. It's rich imagery here, and recognizing the, the realities of warfare in the ancient Near East. We're really still today. If you want to bring a city down, you lay siege to it. But if that city has a river, it's going to be very difficult to bring it down. Because in this case, this river, this city has this river running through it with this continual sweet supply of these waters that have been tempered and channeled in just the right way. Note the contrast here between this river that serves God's purposes within the midst of this city, the contrast between that and the raging storm there in verses 1 and 3. 
So you have God's presence there in the midst, in the midst of her, the holy habitation in the river. And there in God's rescue, not only that, God's rescue, his presence and his rescue is assured. When morning dawns, after the long, long night, just when the battle is about to start, he comes. He comes when morning dawns and speaks with his voice, the voice that created all things. And when he speaks, all resistance melts. Blown away like chaff in the wind. So you see here the, the, the wonder of this assurance here and this promise that the this almost is, is, is giving to us not only his power, the Lord's power, but his, his presence with us. And th- again, we need not fear. We need not fear. So in, in the last point, I, I ask, what, what's your worst case scenario? And that's what we're thinking about in regards to God's power. But here it might be appropriate to ask a different question regarding his presence. Where do you feel under siege? Where do you feel under siege right now in your present circumstances? Understand again that this city's walls, because of his presence with us, can never fall. Can never fall. Despite however it may, how much pressure your walls may feel and how much quaking and shaking you may, they may be experiencing, they can, those walls cannot fall. Again, the refrain here of Psalm 46, I just read it again, verses 7 to 11, the midpoint in there at the end, lest we miss it, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That's the refrain of the psalm. It's the refrain of the whole Bible. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Doesn't, isn't that, doesn't that go to the roots, the very roots of what we most need to hear? Doesn't it address what's actually at, at the very bottom, the foundation of, the, of, of our fears? The things, the voices that keep us up at, at, at night? That rob us of so much literal and metaphorical rest? That fear, that aching anxiety that perhaps we're going to be left to fend for ourselves and on our own, abandoned. And the psalmist is answering that voice with a shout, a a sound, a clarion call, no. You cannot be alone. You will never be alone because we have the assurance of the Lord's presence, his presence. We need never fear. Again, for ours is the city of God. We have the assurance of his power. We have the assurance of his presence. And lastly, we see something of the assurance of his purposes, his sure plan over, through all things. His power over all things, his presence with us in all things, and his purposes working themselves out in all things, no matter how it may seem. You see that here in verses, excuse me, verses 8 through 11, the last section of the psalm. 
Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Again, the, the, uh, the psalmist here is, is not speaking with some blind, ridiculously optimistic, rose-colored glasses. He's well aware of the harsh reality of, of life. Well aware, he alludes to it here, the, the continual waves of pain and suffering warfare on the battlefield and in our living rooms. He knows that very, very well, the continual waves and the besetting weariness that we feel, such that so many of us are tempted just to throw our hands down and give up, saying this is just, this is the way it's, how it is and the way it's forever going to be. It's never going to get any better. And even the people of God, we ourselves are tempted to, to, again, drop our hands, but perhaps with a little look up and say, how long? How long? Well, there's an answer to that, to the harsh reality. And the psalmist then speaks of this great reversal that is coming. The exaltation of the Lord, the unfolding of his plans and purposes, the kingdom coming in its fullness. Finally, you know, the summons that is, is given here, come and see. Come and see my rule coming and coming in full. Come and see, be Still. And by the way, I should note that that's not a word of comfort. When the psalmist says there in verse uh, 10, be still and know that I'm God, that's actually a rebuke. It's a rebuke to the nations. Very much like as with, with Jesus that we read in the Gospels in the midst of that stormy sea, and he rebukes the waves saying, be still. You rebellious waves. Be still. Be still. This great reversal that is coming and this foretaste that is shown to us all the, the, the desolations and the wars seeking, the breaking of the, the instruments of war, and all of that. All of that is, is the, the works of the Lord. Come and see what he has done and is doing and recognizing that all those times of rescue of his people and the deliverances of his people then, now, are but a foretaste of what is to come, are but a preview of the king's return, the return of the king and the restoration, the renewal of all things, when he will be exalted and exalted over all the earth. So again, we see a reason and call not to fear because his sure purpose is are working themselves out and are surely even now working themselves out. Which then, again, presents us with another question. Not only what's your worst-case scenario and where do you feel under siege, but even more so perhaps where is your hope? Where is your hope? Now let's just run back the tape, okay? the tape of, of so many of our thoughts and goals and aspirations just maybe even this week. 
if, if I can just get the right look, if I can just get the best techno toys, if I can just get enough education, then I'll be satisfied. Then things will be okay. Will they? Is that really going to be enough? Or perhaps we can put it this way. If, if looking over the, the terrain, the horizon of my life, and, and the problems that I see and the issues that concern me, and if I can just get enough figured out, sorted out, and worked out, well, then things will be okay. Then I'll be satisfied. Then I'll be fulfilled. Really? Are you, are you sure? Are you sure? My friends, here's what's happening in those moments. We are setting the bar too low. We are setting the bar too low and allowing ourselves to be satisfied with the pursuit of a mist that can never be grabbed, can never be seized hold of, and will never satisfy. Our hope needs to be in the Lord, in the, the God of Psalm 46, who is showing us here that his purposes are sure and we need never fear, for again, ours is the city of God. Now, let me put some feet on this, if I may, just as we wrap this up. Some real con getting down on the, the concrete. You know, when you recognize, uh, recognizing that a problem, recognizing what your problem is, or recognizing that there is a problem, that's good, that's a first step. But if you really want to address it, if you really want to deal with it, you need to go to its roots. You need to, if I can mix the metaphors, trace it upstream, right? We need to do more than just saying we have a problem. Oh, and there are symptoms of this problem. But we need to get at the source. Again, mixing the metaphors, tracing it upstream, going to, to the roots. So thinking about this global pandemic for just a moment, okay? And the, the medical professionals, as they realized some weeks ago, of course, that there was, to say the least, a problem. And they began to recognize symptoms of this problem. They had to begin to analyze data and ask themselves questions such as where and when and who as far as cases and numbers of cases and clusters of cases and all these things. Because if you're going to really get at the problem, you can't just look at the symptoms. You've got to trace it upstream, go to the source, and deal with it at that level. What does that have to do with this? Everything. Fear has symptoms. But it's not address, enough to address the symptoms. Remember what we said earlier some of those symptoms are? The desire to seize control, to grab the wheel. Or our fits of anger and rage, our impatience with our circumstances and people. Or withdrawal, just pulling back, just pulling back, giving up, white flag, withdrawing. Those are real. Those are significant. And to the degree that they are patterns in our lives, they are problems. But if we're going to address those problems, significant as those symptoms are, you have to go to the root. And the root is often fear. Fear that is manifesting itself in those ways. 
a desire to seize control, the bouts and fits of anger, and the temptation to withdraw. We have to deal with the fear. Well, how do you do that? You go to Jesus. You go to Jesus and you ask him, Jesus, am I a fearful person? Is it true that my life is stuck in, the pa- in a pattern like this? Control and anger and withdrawal? Am I not, where am I not hearing these promises, these assurances of your power and your presence and your sure purposes working themselves out in my life? Jesus, have mercy on me. I'm a fearful man. I'm a fearful woman. Have mercy on me. Help me hear and set me free. That's where you go. That's how you deal with the roots. My friends, we need not fear. It's a message of Psalm 46. We need not be enslaved to fear. For ours is the city of God. Can we pray? O Lord of hosts, you are with us. O God of Jacob, you are our fortress. What good news. Grace and mercy, power and protection, the promise of your presence. Oh, would you help us to hear where we are struggling with fear. Oh, would you help us to recognize its symptoms and own them and own them. And may these assurances, these assurances, these profound promises that we find here in Psalm 46 go deep. Change us from within. Oh, Lord Jesus, please make us more like you. Make us more like you and set us free from our fear. We pray in your name.